Hey, it's Greg Brown. Grab your logbook, because it's time for another cockpit adventure from the flying carpet. I'm an aviation author, adventure columnist, photographer, former National Flight Instructor of the Year, and Barnes & Noble Arizona Author of the Month. The Flying Carpet is a four-place single-engine light airplane. In it, my wife Jean and I have long traveled the North American continent, searching behind clouds for the real America, and experiencing aerial adventures like today's all along the way. Learn more at my website, gregbrownflyingcarpet.com, where you can also see photos from most episodes. And I'd appreciate your feedback in my Flying Carpet Podcast Facebook group. Okay, everyone, hop aboard my flying carpet. Buckle your seatbelts good and tight and prepare for takeoff on today's adventure. Flight number 15, Birthday Flowers. Clear prop. When celebrating birthdays with zeros in them, flowers alone won't do it. So when Jean marked a new decade, I sought somewhere special we could fly to celebrate. There was a problem, however. Most of our wish list destinations were in Arizona and New Mexico's mountainous high country, where at this time of early March, wintertime temperatures would prevail. It just didn't make sense leaving Toasty Phoenix at the nicest time of year to go somewhere cold. But then I remembered a place we'd long hoped to visit, Death Valley, California. Always before the impulse had struck at the wrong time of year, Death Valley you only want to visit in wintertime when everywhere else is too cold. On a lark, I phoned the historic Furnace Creek Inn, now called the Inn at Death Valley, to see if we could get a room on one day's notice. I'll see what I can do, said the reservationist, but thanks to record rains, everyone's coming for the biggest wildflower season in years. Tantalized by visions of flower-festooned fields, I held my breath. I see we're booked up for Saturday night, she said, but I have a couple rooms left for Sunday. Seems weird celebrating a birthday in Death Valley, said Jean. But tantalized by those flowers, she arranged Monday off work. Sunday morning we sailed two and a half hours westward from Phoenix, escaping uncharacteristic rain and ice-laden clouds for sunshine. Beneath our wings, however, the terrain became increasingly barren, broken only by the string of gaudy casinos lining the Colorado River at Laughlin, Nevada. Bypassing Las Vegas, we plummeted over the desolate Funeral Mountains into a brutal moonscape of bone-white salt flats cradled in mineral-tinted rock. Even with 60-mile visibilities, I didn't identify Furnace Creek Airport until we were just four miles away. The one giveaway in the featureless monochromatic landscape was the adjacent palm-studded golf course, the only visible green in the entire valley. 
Flying downwind over parched white salt, our altimeter indicated only 600 feet above sea level. Field elevation here is 210 feet below sea level. This place is scary, said Jean when we landed. I hope we'll be okay here. Not a blade of grass could be seen, and nearby dust devils swirled white with salt. Hoping I hadn't blown her birthday celebration, I loaded our bags into the courtesy van. Thankfully, the Furnace Creek Inn offered Haven. Opened in 1927 during the heyday of National Park Inns, the gracefully aging, rustic, mission-style stone complex welcomed us like an emerald fortress, buffered by an oasis of palm trees and a swimming pool against the brutal desert. Shall we try a hike, I asked Jean, eyeing bleakness beyond the fence following check-in. Sure, Greg. Why not? The nearest hiking trail, however, proved to be several miles away. With no rental cars available, we decided to hitchhike. That raised eyebrows at the front desk, but Jean and I just laughed. A hundred miles from nowhere, we figured any drivers on this road could only be sightseers like us. Squinting under the desert sun, we stuck out our thumbs but vehicles were few and far between. We were just getting that this-will-never-work feeling when the sixth or seventh car pulled over, an aging Ford Taurus wagon. Behind the cracked windshield were a cheerful middle-aged woman and an elderly man wearing a safari hat. Exchanging hellos, we embarked on those uncomfortable few moments when new acquaintances ponder what they've gotten into. I'm Jane McEwen, said the driver, and this is my father, Bill. Did your car break down? Jean explained that we had landed at Furnace Creek Airport in a light airplane. And since there were no rental cars, we were just hitching a few miles down to Golden Canyon Trail for some hiking. Your pilots, eh? My friend Dan flies a Piper Arrow out of Southern California's Brackett Field. He subscribed me to something called Flight Training Magazine, which I've just begun reading. The elderly passenger chimed in. I used to fly gliders. Even built several of them myself. Delighted to discover common interests, Jean and I swapped our own glider flying experiences with the man. Though all three of us had first soloed in Schweitzer 222 gliders, the old gentleman had far surpassed our soaring accomplishments. He'd constructed three plan-built HP gliders and achieved recognition among the record-setting soaring pioneers operating out of historic Inyokern Airport. Perhaps the best known of them outside soaring circles was astronaut Neil Armstrong. There's the Golden Canyon Trailhead, I observed, disappointed that our promising conversation would prematurely end. Are you here to see wildflowers, asked Jane? That trail is very interesting from a geological standpoint, but there will be few blossoms along there. Dad and I are driving to the south end of the park where the big show is supposed to be. It's about 40 miles from here. You're welcome to join us if you like. 
You bet we will, replied Jane and I in unison. We soon learned that Jane and Bill had driven from Ridgecrest, California, on a father-daughter day trip to see the flowers. When I mentioned Jean's landmark birthday, Bill named his own upcoming milestone. I'll be 90 next week, he said. Gliders proved to be just one of his many interests. Bill had been a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford when the Germans bombed England in 1940. Evacuated home with 11 other American classmates, he earned a Ph.D. in physical chemistry from Harvard before serving in North Africa and Italy. After the war, he made his career at China Lake Naval Ordnance Test Station, developing rocket propellants for early aircraft missile programs. Next thing I knew, Bill was swapping molecular formulas for various drug families with Gene, a doctor of pharmacy. His business card, however, identified him as a sculptor. Did you carve that beautiful bola tie you're wearing? asked Gene. Bill had, and yet another passion, orchid growing, explained his love of flowers. If you talk with growers, he explained, they'll know my invention for propagating orchids, the McEwen flask. We soon noted increasing amounts of water on the salt flats lining the valley floor. Jean pointed out the window to people waiting. Is there always water in this lake, she asked. First time I've ever seen water in it over all these years, Bill replied. That so-called lake turned out to be bad water, the lowest point in the western hemisphere at 282 feet below sea level. With annual rainfall of less than two inches, and daytime July temperatures averaging 115 degrees Fahrenheit, Death Valley is also the driest and hottest place in North America. In 1996, he informed us, daytime highs here exceeded 120 degrees for 40 days. No wonder water and flowers are such rarities here. Our toasty hometown near Phoenix seemed almost arctic in comparison. Noting a splash of color along the roadside, Jane steered the car onto the shoulder. She had mentioned being an attorney, but not her background as a naturalist. Here's a flower you pilots will appreciate, she said. A gravel ghost, or parachute plant. Note how the white flowers look like tiny silk parachutes blowing in the wind, while the leaves of the plant appear as if they've been gently lowered to the ground. Nearby, she identified fields of purple desert sand verbena and Desert Five Spot, its pink to purplish blossoms adorned by five namesake splashes of crimson. The biggest show, however, awaited us at the old Ashford Mill ruins. There, in warm sunlight, hovered a breathtaking carpet of desert gold wildflowers, extending far out of sight to ridges of multi-hued rock. Above it all floated snow-covered peaks of the Panamint mountain range. Returning to Furnace Creek, we topped the car's fuel tank for our newfound friends and then headed poolside for a dip. How incongruous it seemed, toasting Jean's birthday that evening over a gourmet dinner of chili-dusted salmon and orange and horseradish halibut in this desert oasis isolated by hundreds of miles of uninhabitable salt and rock.
Where do the employees live? I asked our server. Mostly in dormitories provided by the resort, she replied. The nearest town, Pahrump, Nevada, is an hour's drive from here. But there's not much there. To see a movie, you need to drive two and a half hours to Las Vegas. Death Valley didn't seem so dead, did it? I asked Jean as we steered homeward next morning. No, Greg, she said. This was a wonderful birthday. I feel rejuvenated. But let's not come back in summertime. Hey, look. She pointed downward at a splatter of orange and yellow blossoms tinting otherwise bleak barrens, the first of many such displays we'd enjoy on the flight home. Two days later, the press would trumpet the biggest Death Valley wildflower explosion in a hundred years. And we'd learn why no reservations had been available Saturday night. A visit by the nation's first lady to see that show. Once the news hit the national media, no more rooms would be available there for months. Despite my best efforts, I guess Jean got birthday flowers after all. But you know, she certainly didn't seem to mind. Thanks for riding along on today's Flying Carpet Adventure. Please help me continue this podcast by sharing your favorite Flying Carpet episodes on social media, posting reviews on your favorite podcast directories, and donating via my Greg Brown Flying Carpet website. Thanks in advance for your support. You can find photos from most episodes at my website, gregbrownflyingcarpet.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please check out my book of aviation adventure stories, Flying Carpet, The Soul of an Airplane, for which I was named Barnes & Noble Arizona Author of the Month. Learn about that and my other aviation books at gregbrownflyingcarpet.com. Also at gregbrownflyingcarpet.com, you'll find my views from the flying carpet aerial photography, available in fine art metal prints and pilot achievement plaques. Oh, and I'd appreciate hearing your feedback in my Flying Carpet Podcast Facebook group. Follow my social media sites, most of which can be found by searching Greg Brown Flying Carpet and consider joining my student pilot pep talk group on Facebook. Thanks again for joining me on today's Flying Carpet Cockpit Adventure. Music by Hannes Brown. See you next time.